Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. Welcome to Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, we'll be talking about the Brighton game and what went wrong yesterday at the Emirates. Uh, I'm here with Amy Lawrence and Adrian Clark. Good morning. Hiya. Morning. <laughs> Hi, uh, I did see uh, Amy briefly yesterday, but she had a slightly far away look in her eyes, looking at the Brighton fans celebrating. It's fair enough, really. Obviously, it might be a bit painful to relive yesterday afternoon. So before we do that, if you want to hear something funny, uh, my son Alexander flew down uh, from and then back to Glasgow for yesterday's game. And it was a nightmare journey. He forgot his house key. He missed the first flight down, got very stressed, had to get a later flight, arrived at the stadium with about two minutes to spare. And then on the way back, oh, watch the game, obviously. And then on the way back, they cancelled his ticket and he had to beg them to put him on the last flight home and he had to sprint to the gate and he only just caught his flight home in time. Uh, So what I'm saying is however bad you felt your day was, uh, his was slightly worse. And he actually phoned me to tell me that because he knew it would cheer me up. So what I thought I'd ask was, what's your worst football journey? What is your worst football journey? Adrian, you must have had a few bad ones. Oh, that's, that sounds horrendous. Yeah, yeah. For that game. For that game. I mean, honestly, fly it down and back for to see us get beat 3-0 at home by Brighton. Honestly, it was the one thing I found amusing yesterday. Um, <laughs> genuinely, what, uh, what, what about you? Worst journeys? A couple of honourable mentions, actually, for the game. We interviewed Gilberto Silva, who was with um, a fan from Kenya, who'd won some kind of prize, the ultimate fan experience. So they, yes. He'd come all the way over from Kenya for it. I mean, he was having an amazing time. He was the happiest guy in the world. Yeah, that was at half-time, though, wasn't it, Adrian? I saw an interview at half-time, or was that oh. before the game? I can't oh, we think. did one before the game, right, but yeah, okay. maybe maybe it was on the big screen. But And there were some people in our box that had come over from America, so, like I felt for them. Um, the worst journey, the one that springs to mind, is actually not one I made. It was one that my parents made when I played for England schoolboys. I was a regular in the team and we played Scotland away. Big game. And it was at Dingwall, which is the home of Ross County, uh, which is um, way north of Inverness. Um, and the journey from their house in Haverhill, Suffolk, I've just looked it up, is 541.2 miles. Um, and obviously that's a drive there and back. They drove, which is a bit crazy. And um, I didn't play. I was unused up. <laughs> it was the one game, the only <laughs> game of the entire campaign where I was sub and didn't get on. It, I, honestly, I felt like crying, but and I, I was very apologetic. And Not I'm like, as much as your them. Fault. I think. I said they, they felt more like crying. I mean, that would have cost them about a thousand quid in petrol. Um, Amy, what about you? Worst journey? Probably uh, back in my student days, which I spent in uh, Super Sheffield, 
Uh, I was an honorary member of the Yorkshire Gooners, which is a supporters club up there that has been quite vibrant for quite a long time. And um, we used to get sort of mini buses fairly often and uh, it would pick people up in various spots along the way. And one away game at Crystal Palace, Selhurst Park, um, I think the only transport that we had for about 16 of us was a white transit van. Oh. And I was in the back with about 14 others kind of bumping around in the dark. Sounds, sounds like it could be good, but believe me, it wasn't. Um, you know, for what's felt like an eternity on the way to Crystal Palace and back. So, yeah. How'd you get on? How did we get I on? I can't remember. I, just, I remember the journey and not the result. That tells you a lot. But again, that kind of speaks to what Adrian was saying about the guy from Kenya. And I mean, I, I know a lot of people over for the game yesterday. Um, a friend uh, who's one of the first members, I think he was possibly member number one of Arsenal Brazil when it formed about 15 years ago. Uh, Al Cicio and a really good friend Chris from Norway uh, came over from Oslo and the three of us hadn't been in the same place for nine years and we met up and uh, had a really good get together uh, over the weekend and again I felt I felt slightly apologetic afterwards that they'd come over you know I think I sent a text out to them going oh, sorry and they were like sorry for what you know uh, sorry for well, a part of it was like, "What are you sorry for? You haven't done anything." And I thought, "Oh, okay, um, <laughs> no, all right." It wasn't actually my fault, but uh, I wanted them to have a great, a great day, and a, a, you know, so, I think they had, you know, occasionally people are having to book tickets, kind of four months in advance, when you're from overseas supporters clubs and so on and so forth. So there's ballots, there's people wanting to come from everywhere, and the great thing about it was that they were both said afterwards, like, "Look, the game." you know, wasn't great, but this whole thing is about so much more than what happens on the pitch. We will we will be doing that uh, in quite a few of the, the forthcoming podcasts. I just want to, you know, just take the piss out of people who struggle to, for journeys for a bit longer if we possibly <laughs> Also, you know those cup finals in Cardiff yeah. that we had? Yeah. I do remember being, you know, that uh, on the train when you've got, sort of four seats and then another four seats behind them. And there's like a little triangle of space in between the backs of the two sets of seats. Just too small for a, for a regular size bag. That's what they, that's how they made them. Just slightly. Yes. Small. But, but just about big enough for me to crawl into one of those <laughs> cut final journeys. <laughs> it's pretty grim. Those journeys. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but okay. happy. So, yeah. No, that is true. Um, mine, uh, worst journey was Bolton away in the FA Cup. In about, I don't know, 1983, um, one all draw. I do remember that. But there were two train derailments. Nobody got hurt, apparently, so I just want to point that out right now. Uh, two train derailments, one on the way there and one on the way back. The one on the way there meant I, I missed the first 40 minutes uh, of the game, so I only saw the second half, didn't see either of the goals. And the one on the way back delayed us for about four hours at Nuneaton Station with nothing to eat, which uh, the people on the train at the time failed to see the irony, but uh, I, a seed was planted in my mind that maybe comedy <laughs> might work for me. And I got back about four in the morning and I woke up uh, too late to see the goals on the big match the next day. So I've, I, I've never actually seen the goals, but I travelled all the way to Bolton back. But anyway, uh, Alexander... Uh, 
he got home in the end. It was quite a late one, but he got home. Uh, and and uh, he did find the whole thing amusing, except for the 19 minutes of the game. By the way, before we plunge into that, today, 15th of May, couple of notable anniversaries. Uh, 2004 was the day that Arsenal became invincible. Arsenal 2, Leicester 1. I just have a lovely memory of Dennis Bergkamp's pass to Patrick Vieira through a sea of players and him skipping around the uh, the keeper and we all knew and the other one uh, was the 15th of May 2016 when Arsenal were third and Tottenham was second in the league ahead of the final day's games and Tottenham even though Newcastle had a man set off Tottenham lost 5-1 and the growing <laughs> sense of fun and enjoyment at Arsenal as the goals were going in at Newcastle was really something very beautiful. Yeah, I was on co-commentary for Arsenal that day and I giggled my way through the second half. <laughs> it was so funny. Couldn't focus. It How could they do that? It was so beautiful. But obviously they can do that because they're Tottenham. Arsenal nil, Brighton 3. Arsenal's title challenge is effectively over. One thing, by the way, well, for, well done to the fans. And there weren't many of us who stayed uh, till the end. I'd say 10,000 at the most. I know it's hard. I mean, I know it's hard. I know it's painful. Uh, we win together and we should lose together. We have to suffer with them. Uh, not pleasant, but I think they deserve that. Amy, you have something to say. Well, you say well done to the ones who stayed, but, uh, you know, I, and I can't, I don't want to be critical of everybody because everyone has their reasons and their stuff. And as as you say, journeys are make it difficult. But I was pretty disappointed by the the extent of the uh, streaming out. So was I, that's what I'm saying. Well done to the ones who stayed. Yeah, but that, but that's but there, there is a flip side to that, which is not so well done to the people. Oh who, my god, the that's numerous what I people who buggered off. And I, you know, yeah. I felt I, I felt that Mikel Arteta, if he saw that, that probably would have been a real sharp pain because he has been such a a force for this reconnection between the club and the fans. And it's been something that has been so significant and important to everything he's tried to do. And he's included the fans constantly in this this revival um, and along this that. ride. And then for that amount of people to not stick it out, to applaud the lads at the end, I thought was was a really a shame. Adrian, you're, you're nodding along here. I mean, how would you feel as a player if all this season, it's all about us, it's all about the team and the fans and connection and unity and togetherness, and then 50,000 leave before think, the end? I Way think before it's poor. the end. I think it's as poor of the people that left as the players were poor in their performance. I, I think I think that's, that's the best way that I can describe it. it, it I don't think the players did their jobs properly really on the day compared to how we know they can. But a supporter's job, even though you're paying to, for the right to have that job, is to, is to support the team, isn't it? And you, you sort of back back off a little bit early just because things aren't going your way. Yeah, I didn't I didn't like to see it. What 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 stood out to me, and I said it to, to Nick Bright, who was next to me at the time, I was like, well, there's the belief gone. I mean, because all throughout this season... Fans have stuck around when the injury time has gone up. No one's left because they've believed in the team to 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 salvage something, to get something out of the game. But there was there was zero belief from, from the stands in this game, and, and that can rub off on players because I think they would have thought, well, they've given up on us, and then you know it was a matter of just 
play. Wait, waiting for the final whistle, wasn't it? But do you think there is a certain amount of the fact that we've got a very, we've got a, 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 to a certain extent, a new fan base? I'm not saying they're tourists, but I'm saying that they believe so much in this team and what happened, and they just couldn't take the disappointment when mm. reality finally hit them. I mean, I don't yeah. know. I'm just trying to put forward why they would be like that. Because mm. let me tell you, every one of the 10,000 people who were still in that stadium at the end wanted to leave as well. I mean, God, I didn't <laughs> want to sit there and watch the last 15 minutes of that. It was painful. At one point, I shouted, just blow the whistle. Just stop it now. I didn't want I to, to talk it. about it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to, 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 to a room of, of silent, you know, silent supporters yeah. that were just just wanting to get off, you know. Yeah, it was it was one of those days. I, I, I get it. Everyone's entitled to do what they want to do, but... It wasn't great support, was it? Let's be honest. I hope you had to queue for hours at the stations, okay, with all those other people that left. Genuinely, it just pissed me right off. Amy, everything seemed a bit off kilter yesterday, didn't it? I mean, did they did they leave it all on the pitch at Newcastle? Was that was that really? They essentially got second. They knew they were second at that point, and it you know they just didn't have anything left. Not necessarily. Uh, I think it's such a difficult match to assess and measure because. You try very hard, I'm sure, to compartmentalise everything that's going on around and make sure that you've got those sort of blinkers on for the match ahead and what you're doing. But there was a kind of a feeling in the air that it was possible that Man City might drop something at Everton. Uh, And a lot of that was due to the weeks before result when Everton smashed Brighton away 5-1. Oh, the irony. But I think that did... did kind of create a certain possibility. And when that was completely extinguished by Manchester City, maybe there was a slight flat, a flatness that came out of that. And then on top of that, you have a exceptionally good Brighton team who are very, very tough to play against, who were strategically very smartly set up. Uh, and imposed their game on Arsenal. But the first half was pretty even, let's be honest. I don't think that there was a... Um, you didn't think it was going to be 3-0 to either team no. at half-time. I don't think that was the case. But it felt to me like once Brighton got that goal, and because it was such a utterly bizarre, quirky goal... Soft. You know, with Kivi or sort of... I don't know. Well, he got, he well, got trodden on, didn't he? He did, but, but you know... I don't know whether whether you go down, whether you try and st- still do your job, uh, how how bad it has to be. I don't know, but it was a strange situation that he was there and he was leaning down, and then the little guy has a free header. It was just odd. Yeah, but it felt like that that particular goal on the back of the day, on the like all the pressure and tension of the entire season almost came like a tidal wave and just washed everybody over. I felt like once that first goal had gone in, that Arsenal were kind of done. Yeah. Um, and in a way, whether it was 1-0 or 3-0 or 5-0 or whatever, I, d- I think what happened after that goal sort of makes analysis of this game feel slightly, in the, you know, slightly redundant in terms of what do we learn or what could we... I don't know, Arteta seemed to learn something. He was... He was angry. Well, he, he was hurt. He was very, very low. I don't think I'd seen him look so kind of dejected before. 
Well, Newcastle but, away last season. Well, that so. wasn't dejected. That was something different. He was furious. Was, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. This was a sort of more of a hurt and a sadness, I think. But he did say something afterwards that, that felt very interesting, where it was almost like, I'm looking at my players. And I don't think it was just about this game. I think it was maybe about, you know, this run of games where the points total has clearly not been good enough. Um, Nine out of 21. Exactly. And I think he... He intimated, you know, it, well, certain people here that wasn't good enough. It yeah. certainly is below his expectations and his demands. So it gives the impression that there's going to be, in, in the post, post-analysis of the season, he'd be making some, uh, some quite stern decisions if, some ruthless decisions, if he feels... It's critical for the next step to go a little bit further. Which which you wrote about and which we will talk about uh, a bit later in the pod. Um, Adrian, I mean, is it really about defences in the end? This title challenge has, has, has withered uh, on, on the back of poor defending. I mean, only Southampton have kept fewer clean sheets in home Premier League games this season. 25 goals at home in the Premier League. Uh, they're joint most in a single campaign. I mean, some poor, poor... And obviously, we can talk about the injuries and everything, but in the end, defences win titles. Yeah, yeah. Too many goals let in at home. That much is obvious. Yeah, only five teams in the Premier League with a worse defensive record on their own patch. So, you know, for a team that's challenging for the title up until the, you know, third from last weekend, it's it's amazing, really. Yeah, the balance between defence and attack is not quite right in the home games. We have left ourselves too open. The, the, the pattern, in my opinion, over this run where we've picked up nine points from 21, the, the pattern is when teams press us properly, they win... The, it's it's disrupted us. When they stop our flow of passing, but think how fluent we were. Bang, bang, bang. Release the spare man. That's wave after wave of attacks. That has dried up a little bit. It's because teams have pressed us better and we've become much less competent of playing through that press. Now, why is that? Is that tension? Maybe a little bit. Is it just a physical dip, a mental dip because of fatigue? Probably. Um, there are other factors too, personnel issues. We have we have not looked after the ball anywhere near as well, which means teams have been winning it back in better areas, exposing what has always been there um, in terms of, you know, a slightly flawed rear guard. Yeah. Um, and, and, and obviously without Saliba, it's... It's made a difference. And, and uh, yeah, Saliba, I want to come to Saliba in a second. Zinchenko, uh, Amy, um, I was watching a game yesterday, just I was wishing that he could be on that pitch just for the way that he progresses the ball from the back. Uh, and this is not, this is absolutely not having a go at Kieran Tierney. He's an excellent defender and has been great, and he's great on the overlap. But just in terms of having another option, uh, I mean, Saliba is probably another one who can do that uh, better than Kivior. So, We've lost key personnel at, at key moments, haven't we? Being without three defenders uh, at this point of the season hurts. Cluster injuries are always a killer. You know, we, we, I think we've spoken about this before. You, you kind of put together a squad generally thinking that you've got two good players for each position. And I think it was really that combination of Tommy Yasu and Saliba that kind of kick-started the, the, the real sort of... Uh, 
the panic and the the proliferation of individual errors in the defence because it was just too big of a change, too big of a drop. Yeah, we'll never know if Ben White had moved across and re-established that centre-back partnership with Gabriel that was pretty good for them the season before. Tomiyasu coming in at right-back, had he been fit, maybe it would have been enough to cover for Saliba's absence and not lose quite as many points. Not to say it would have been perfect, but I think it would have been better. And and William Saliba, I mean, I'm, I know at the start of the pog, at the start of the year he came in and just looked so immense. I mean, he is basically our Virgil Van Dyke, right? And and to lose him for these last, this is it's been it's been a body blow, hasn't it, Adrian? Really? Yeah, it has. Yeah. Not just One because, reasons- sorry, Adrian, not just because of what he does, but the connections mm. he has with Ben White, with Thomas Partey, with Gabriel, with the goalkeeper. It, he just calms everything down and we can play higher up. We can play that yeah. high risk game because he's so good. Yeah, it's about partnerships. We talk, talked about that before on lots of pods about chemistry and partnerships that build. And, and those when those partnerships break up and when you get cluster injuries, like Amy says, then more partnerships are fresher and newer and everyone's getting to know each other and, and to re- reacquaint themselves basically on the pitch and that can cause issues. Yeah, it's um, yeah the, the defence has been left exposed a little bit at times as well by the way we play because we, we put Erdegaard and Xhaka so high up the pitch. It does leave that back four, especially if one of the fullbacks has gone, it does leave the, the three that are left a little bit exposed and and when we don't press as well. So, so there's there's two two factors here. I've talked about us losing the ball. So when you lose the ball, they can get at your back three really quickly. That's when we've really struggled. But in this match as well, you, you'll have noticed maybe we didn't press as well when they were passing out from the back. Yeah, the tired. edge has gone yeah, tired, away from our press. Adrian. Yeah, our edge has gone. Yeah. And when you're, when you're 5% off, players play around you. When they play around you against us... It gets harder. It's harder because we we are brave in the way we commit bodies forward. And again, it exposes the three that are left at the back or four. So there's a few factors. I think the overriding feeling is that we've been, uh, that we're jaded physically and mentally and overstretched um, because the the backup players haven't been quite at the same level as well. So that's why we've, that's why we collapsed in this game. Very briefly in this game, Brighton suffocated us in that first half. How many times did we string moves together, Amy? I mean, in that first half, I looked at the numbers. I talked about it on the show. Our most prolific passer up until halftime in terms of accurate passes was Jorginho with 17. The vast majority of our players had under 10 accurate passes in a half. That's what Brighton did to it. Yeah, and yet Arsenal had three very presentable chances. Which is what we talked so, about. Yeah. And and so and it was saying, well, we've not been great, but we've still looked the more dangerous side. But what hit the ball. But what happened second half? We did have a little bit more of the ball second half, but but Brighton Brighton won their duels. And Arteta talks about this all the time. Du- duels, duels. You know, he's always got banging on about duels. It's look at what they did. They they wanted to run past our players. They wanted to get on the end of things. They just had a bit more vigour, vim, vigour, a bit more drive about them. Um, and yeah. we were, we, we just looked knackered, in my opinion. Let's, uh, let's. by the way, uh, I mean, they are a good team, by the way. They are a very good team. They've won, they've won three times in a row at the Emirates. It's not an easy fixture. And uh, it would obviously be made easier if we had all our personnel. Um, one more thing. 
uh, before we have a we have a little break. A lot of the fans think short term. We're going to have this conversation quite a bit in the next few weeks. It is a results business, but we have to talk about the development of the team. We're disappointed after what happened yesterday, but if we if we did bottle it, as Andrew Allen said today. Uh, on Twitter, 18 other teams bottled it before we did. All right. So we were the last, <laughs> if you like, to lose any conviction up against the behemoth that is Manchester City. But it's a results based, it is a results based business. Uh, but if we win our last two games, 87 points, that is better than almost every uh, team in Arsenal's history. Almost better. I mean, it's basically the same amount if you transcribe between 38 and 42 the same as the team that won the double in 70-71 better than all the teams in the 1930s better than the 1997-98 team as good as the team that won it in 2001-2002 and only beaten by the Invincibles so uh, again I want that message to those fans who left you can't believe in a team that has done that for us this season and we will celebrate that in the coming podcast of course we will anyway this is handbrake off the arsenal podcast brought to you by the athletic this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an nba game and more Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We better beat uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence, and Adrian Clark here. Amy, you wrote a piece after the game. After the, the hurt lifts, Arsenal must ask, what do they want to be? What can they be? I mean, you pointed out in the piece that Josh Cronkill was there as well. And he very quickly at the end of the game got up, went back inside. I mean, they want it, don't they? The, the, it seems to me like the hierarchy wants it. And by it, I mean super success and trophies and all the rest of it. And they're going to have to have that chat. But outline what you talked about in the piece. Since they took sole charge and since they took the decision to not just appoint Mikel, but change his regard by making him manager instead of head coach and giving him that <clears throat> authority across the club to try and engineer a cultural rebuild as well as a rebuild on the pitch they they do want it they you know like a lot of other owners out there it's difficult to establish how to do that against the beer moth 
as you call them, and the way that they have been backed and the fact that they have, you know, probably the best manager around. It's a, it's a tough old thing to overcome for anyone. We know that. But I think there is a, a real desire and will to be successful in a, in, a, in a tangible way, and that means trophies. And I'm, I'd be very surprised if when Arteta, Edu, the Cronkies and all the various members of staff involved in the executive team sit down and plan for this summer, if they're not as ambitious as they can possibly be within the rules and within what is kind of realistic. They will do everything that they can. If they, whether they make the right choices or not and whether they can get the deals over the line that they want remains to be seen. But I don't have any qualms that, you know, uh, that, that this is... regard. Is this regarded successful? In some ways it should be because, you know, you are offer anyone connected with Arsenal in pre-season second place guaranteed to Man City and Champions League guaranteed well, and some great come. football yeah. and everybody would have been, hey, you know, yeah, and that we'll includes the, the, you know, the ownership have had years where they've, they've had seasons where it went below what they wanted. You know, there were some seasons where qualifying for the Champions League was kind of expected a bit more and it didn't happen, or Europa League even. But I think they feel like they've got things moving in a, a very positive direction. And it's mad. You know, they will not be analysing this with that kind of Monday morning blues feeling the day after the afternoon before that was a really tough one to take. They will be analysing it clearly and calmly with a little bit of space and knowledge and, you know, get the emotion out of the way and be practical. The biggest thing for me is I think the players that Arsenal want and the amount of money that they're prepared to commit will be impressive. But are they going to get what they want is the question. And we only need to look at the Mudrick situation and how that panned out to know that you can have your major goals and they can want to come to you, but there are other parties involved, namely selling clubs, other clubs that might want to gazump you and agents. So you never, you know, it's never as easy as having a sort of two, two uh, person relationship, the club and the player. The club might want the player, the player might want to come to the club. That bit's easy. The rest of it's a nightmare. Yeah. But we have seen that Plan B, the Plan B has also been pretty good Absolutely. this year. Absolutely. So. But I think that for Arsenal to try and kick on from this season, they need to be cracking a few more Plan A's. Because I think yeah. the quality of player that they want to bring in is someone that they think manifestly changes the first team. Yeah, um, Adrian, I mean, uh, Amy made a list in the, um, in the piece saying Arsenal have some bargaining power when it comes to raising money or player exchanges because we talked on this podcast in the last few weeks about how they are going to have to sell some and it might be quite painful with one or two of them. I'm thinking particularly Emil Smith-Rowe, if, if someone like Emil would leave, that you'd feel like, oh, really? I know a lot of players, a lot of fans felt that way about Joe Willock as well. I mean, Kieran Tierney, Rob Holding, uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu, amongst others. Reese Nelson, who came on and had a good cameo yesterday and looked hungry. 
often does in the last 20 minutes. But can he? would you want to start him in a Champions League quarterfinal against Real Madrid? I think maybe that's really the way they've got to be thinking now. They've got to think ruthlessly, haven't they? The bar has been raised. And it's amazing, on the back of the most successful season we've had in many, many years, that, that we're, we're probably going to have a major cull. And a lot of the players that we will allow to leave will have contributed to some of those good moments, but you've got to keep moving and you've got to improve. We've we've done amazingly to bridge the gap or close the gap a bit on Manchester City. The only thought really in Arteta and Edu's mind and everybody associated with it is, well, what can we do? What do we need to do to improve enough to get to their level? And, 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 and that's going to mean some tough, tough decisions. So, yeah, I think that a lot more steel needs to come into the team. I think that, that in possession, we're as good as anybody. I, I know I was critical of, of, of our form of late on the ball, but in possession, we are as good as anyone. But it is, have we got enough to break up opponents? Have we got enough to be a bit nasty when we need to be? Yeah, in those big games against the toughest teams, have we got those those players that can can just Vieira the opposition and 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 win it for us and release those players on a consistent basis? So there's work to be done. I, I think there'll be a lot of steel brought in, some some physical players to add to what is already an exceptionally gifted and skillful group of players. We need a bit more defensive strength and power across the midfield and the defence, in my opinion. Two names. Uh, I mean, we could speculate. Uh, I'm watching Moises Caicedo yesterday, starting to play at, uh, started playing at right back. Uh, crocked Martinelli as well, by the way. I should have got booked for that. And Declan Rice. I mean, we want both, don't we, really? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think we do. They'll go for both. But that's they might the get both. They might get one. They might get neither. I mean, no, that's, exactly. the, that's the um, reality of the marketplace is that I think they can be pretty sure that from the vibes, let's just say, that both players have expressed quite a lot of enthusiasm to come to Arsenal, <laughs> as Mudrick did. You know, yeah. I, I think they're all very much open to that. But getting it over the line is difficult. That's the problem. Yeah, obviously the way to fund it is through the budget, but also selling. Um, we've got so many players out on loan. So many players out on loan that haven't figured in the plans this season that if we're being honest with the new levels that we've got at Arsenal, they probably are never going to fit into Mikel's first choice team. You know, there's a lot of money to be raised there, right? We could, could we not be selling 15 players this summer? Yeah, but it's also about finding buyers though, isn't it, Adrian? I mean, I mean, they're on big But this contracts. is, the point is, the point is that I think Arsenal haven't, been for years in the kind of situation where they can make that money. There have been positions where there are players on big contracts who couldn't be sold for anything. And now the list of players who you think might be going, there's very few where you think, oh, they won't make it, they won't can't can't get a buyer or they can't sell for anything other than pittance. And that's the, that's the difference this time, is that they have actually got assets that people out there will want and they're assets of value. Yeah, I mean, in the end, we're in such a different position to where we were two years ago. Can we just remind people, two years ago, we finished eighth 
in the Premier League, and now we're the only team making it a title race with the with a team that have won probably almost certainly now going to win five out of six titles and probably the Champions League as well. So I think people have to have a step back a little bit and show mm. and show a little bit of perspective about this whole thing. And what what cleared the pathway for for, for this upturn is it was a cull. It was it was it was it was getting rid of players. Even though we gave up on fees, we said just just leave for nothing. We'll pay you up. It's it's a painful hit, but at the time, but it opens up a pathway for the next generation of players to come in, and and I think that's where we're at with with this group. Even though the, these are these are good eggs that are going to be moving on this summer. Good players, good eggs, no bad apples in there at all. But it's just. For your career, you need to move. And for us to, to get to the level where we've got 22 players that Mikel absolutely trusts and has faith in, we need you to move on. And, and, and that, I think, is exactly where we're at this summer. Amy, one more question. Do you think that, that Mikel Arteta and the team have made up their mind about who these players are? Or do you think, do you think the last couple of games somebody might produce something and you think actually maybe or do you think it's that 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 time has passed now I think they probably know who's on the uh the list of possible moves yeah let's just put it that way but what you don't know oh not the, the, the list of possible moves is much bigger than who will go obviously because that, then it becomes a case of what works you know if x player goes for 30 billion and why player in a similar position could raise t- 20, you know, which one they might keep one and, and, and not the other. And that affects other positions and other values, because obviously they're not going to they're not going to purge <laughs> uh, gallons of numbers of, of the squad. Um, some will stay, you know, but there are quite a lot of either ors, I think, in that bigger list. And a lot will depend on, for, you know, there's there is some talk of. Um, bargaining chips in potential deals. You know, would West Ham take one or two players plus cash for Declan Rice? Because if they really do want something approximating a 120 million valuation, that's not something that Arsenal are going to find the cash for. Um, But there might be deals, you know, to be had. So then it would be a case of, well, if they particularly want player X rather than player Y, even though that's a different kind of amount, these things will all be taken into account. And they're going to have to improvise as they go because the market is so unpredictable. But, but I think well, they know they're... what they want. I think in some cases they know who they want, but they've obviously got first choices, second choices and so on because you have to. I think they know what roughly they can spend and I think they know what roughly they might need to raise. And then after that, it becomes like a giant kind of game of, I don't know, Jenga rule, some chess. sort of weird, weird yeah, building game of getting all the pieces that, that work together to create the bigger picture rebuild, basically. Well, I think in the end, and I hesitate to say this, we just have to trust the process, don't we? Really? <laughs> Let's it's, have, got, it's given us some good moments, the process this season. It's given us it? it's loads given us of good moments. moments. And, and, and in the next few podcasts, obviously we will talk about the games against Forest and Wolves. We'll relive those moments as well. Okay, Uh, yesterday was a painful day, but let's put it behind us. Never speak of it again, uh, except let's have a song. Let's have a song. Amy, 
Uh, you look up for this, so I'm going to say you first. Okay, I did do a little bit of investigating. Um, let me see my little list. They're all fairly downbeat. Yeah. <laughs> God, they're really downbeat. <laughs> <laughs> all right, really not okay. happy talk. We're not right. happy uh, talk. Okay, no, 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 no. Um, uh, in my shortlist is Crash by The Primitives. <laughs> yeah. uh, a, a song from Tears for Fears, The Hurting, which would be Pale Shelter, which is a wonderful song. Gone by The Sundays. Oh, I love the Sundays. Uh, and I think I'm going to go for pro- probably the most, uh, n- you know, <laughs> horrific of the lot in that vein, but what a song by Mazzy Starr and Into Dust. Like to strangers turning into dust Till my It's just such a good song. Uh, it's just beautiful, melancholy and gorgeous. There you go. Okay. Uh, I feel a bit sad now, Adrian. By the way, Abby is... Yeah, but just, sad uh, music is has not, worth at times like this. It's not I allows listen, I listen, you to... I listen to Radiohead all the time. <laughs> I like to be <laughs> depressed by my music. Uh, by the way, Abby, our producer, uh, did uh, send me a message saying, would your son be choosing 500 miles? It's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> Maybe not this morning, but at some point when he finds it a bit more amusing. Adrian, what have you got for us? <laughs> yeah, on my list, I narrowed it down to two. Um, one was um, Ray's Light somewhere else because that's where we all wanted to be yeah. at the final whistle but we stuck we stuck with it but yeah I mean it's a, that's an obvious one it's Boulevard of Broken Dreams I walk this empty street on the boulevard of broken dreams where the city sleeps and I'm the only one I that's, that's what it feels like doesn't it it, it, it hurts right now the dream the dream's done it's not happening. So that's the song that really came came to mind, or certainly the song title. Yeah. Uh, I'm picked uh, Stay by Shakespeare's sister to the 50,000 or so. <laughs> Who didn't? Who didn't? It did really piss me off yesterday. That I mean, more, almost more than the game. Stay. Oh, God, that song was awful as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that wailing. I didn't mind the song. Oh. I didn't oh, mind. There was something... It was quite... one of those that used to give me a bit of a twitch when it came in. You could have gone for the E17 one. Yeah, stay. Stay another day. Yeah, that yeah. is true. Yeah, I could have done, <laughs> gone for that one, but I really just wanted to annoy Amy. <laughs> yes. Job done. It's really my, my <laughs> prime my prime purpose in life at this point. Um, well, lovely to see you both. And uh, thank yeah. you for listening, uh, by the way, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, well done if you got through this one. If you, I was going to say, <laughs> if you stuck it out, gone, you haven't gone ages ago. Is anyone still oh, listening? Fuck yeah, this. Train <laughs> rather than listen to these three moaning on. Uh, thank you to Adrian Clark. Thank you to Amy Lawrence. And uh, thank you to Abby, our producer. And um, we'll be back on Thursday. Have a good day. This has uh, been Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. <laughs> 